you're a young person who fits into children's church, go ahead and make your way there. And as they're making their way, there's two things I'd like to do as uh, we begin uh, our time in God's Word together. Uh, number one, I want to celebrate our evangelistic successes. And uh, number two, I want to dedicate this year to Christ. So first, uh, let me celebrate. Last Sunday was the last Sunday of 2018. And if you remember, at the beginning of 2014, if you remember back that far, realize some of you didn't even have smartphones back then. Um, now we've all got smartphones and we're all dumber. But, um, but, um, but back at the beginning of 2014, we said that we wanted to try to reach 2018 people with the gospel uh, through the ministry of our church and through our own lips as people within it. And I'll tell you where we wound up. Here's the official tally as of, uh, as of the 31st of 2018. Uh, 1,495 people heard the gospel through people in this church. 1,495. Now, I want to give the Holy Spirit a hand on that, okay? Because, because it is, because, because the gospel is not our work, it's His work, and we're merely the implement that He chooses to use at times to do that. Amen? So, uh, let me just go through some of the things on that list. Kids here heard the gospel at Awana. Uh, men and women and boys and girls boldly shared one-on-one -on -one with neighbors and friends and classmates and co-workers and family members. There were lots of you, lots of us, uh, who shared the gospel one-on-one -on -one with people or with members of their family or with co-workers or with neighbors. And lots of people heard that way. Uh, there were folks who heard... Uh, the gospel at funerals. We had several of those over the last five years. And um, one of the things that we do every time is share the gospel. And so there were people who heard that way. Uh, there were visitors who our church who heard it on a Sunday morning at worship. Some of us went door to door with evangelism explosion and actually went through the neighborhood, knocked on people's doors. And shared the gospel with them. Some were some heard through adopt a block. Uh, women and children heard about the gospel at mops. Uh, students heard about it through salt and light. Uh, we proclaimed it with the mountain men. We proclaimed it at the wild game feast. We proclaimed it in everything that we do as a church. And I think that is uh, an exciting thing to to see what God did through that. Now. Did we get all the way to 2018? No. It was, a, it was a big, hairy, audacious goal. And I wasn't sure, to be honest, that we would get there. But we got a lot closer than I thought we would. We got 1,495 people to hear the gospel in our community in all kinds of ministries and all kinds of ways through all kinds of people's mouth. Not just mine. Not just Karens, not just the elders, but a whole bunch of people 
all different walks of life, all different avenues of ministry, uh, all kinds of people heard the gospel. Almost 1,500 folks. So that's something to celebrate. The other thing I want to do this year is to dedicate this year. This is the first Sunday of 2019, and I want to dedicate this year to Christ because each year at the beginning, you know, we get everybody's probably already broke their resolution not to eat chocolate this year or whatever, right? But, um, but each year brings with it new opportunities, new avenues for growth, New ways to grow in our walk with God, a renewed focus on redeeming the time that we're given to glorify God. And so I just want to ask you a couple questions and then want to go into a prayer of dedication here. First of all, how are you planning to glorify God with your life this year? Have you thought about it? As uh, Jim Elliott, the... Uh, Famous martyred missionary once said that only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So how are you planning this year to glorify God with your life? You only have, you only have today. And tomorrow you'll only have that, that day. And the next day. And pretty soon it'll add up to a year. How are you planning to use that time to glorify the Lord? Are there people in your life that need prayed for? People that you need to seek an opportunity to share the gospel? Are there sins that need to be put to death? Are there relationships that need to be restored or repaired or even built? I don't know how the Lord might be speaking to you right now, but, but I want to pray for us and I want to dedicate this year to the, to the Lord. And if you are physically able i know some of you struggle um if you're physically able i'd like you to just join me on i'm going to get on my knees and pray and if you want to get down on yours too and we'll pray together and just ask the lord to guide us through this year okay father here we are on the very first sunday of 2019 and we devote ourselves and our church and this year to you. Uh, you've told us to redeem the time, to make the most of every opportunity. Because we don't know how much time we have. Uh, we, could, uh, we could have many years yet. Or Christ could return today or tomorrow or soon. Or we could be in an accident or get sick. We don't know what the future holds, Father. We know who holds the future, and we entrust ourselves to You, and we dedicate ourselves to You. We pray that this year, Father, would be a year in which we glorify You in every aspect of our lives. I pray for each person here that there, if there is sin in their life, that they would be convicted of it by Your Holy Spirit, that they might forsake it and put it to death that uh, they might live and experience the, the joy of life with You. Father, I, I pray that if there are relationships that need to be repaired and restored, marriages that need to be worked on, 
that, Father, we, your people, would be characterized as people of repentance and forgiveness, and that we might build and repair every broken relationship in our lives. Father, I pray for our the people that we know who are lost, who do not know Jesus, and who apart from faith in Him are destined for eternity of separation in hell. Father, I pray that we would be courageous and bold. We would be strengthened by Your Holy Spirit to share the Gospel with those who need to know Him. That You might use us as Your instrument for doing that. Father, I pray we would dedicate our finances to You. That You might be pleased uh, with how we invest the money You've entrusted to us. Uh, For the advancement of Your kingdom and for the spread of the Gospel around the world. And even on what we spend it on with reference to ourselves, that we would spend it in a way that is pleasing to You and it lays up for us treasure in heaven. Where thieves do not break in and steal and where... Uh, moth and dust do not corrupt. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that we would experience the renewal and revival of your Holy Spirit, that we might be excited about the new year and the new opportunities for ministry and growth and life. And Father, I pray that above all, that in all areas of life, that our hearts, our minds, our lips, our lives would be dedicated to You and that we might glorify You in every part. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me. May the Lord truly be honored and what we do, and who we become this year. I want to look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, beginning in verse 60. We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, 11 verses there. And this is what the Scripture says. When many of His disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. Now, let me just set the scene here in these first few verses. It's been a few weeks since we were in the Gospel of John together, so let me just back up. And and let me tell you that this scene comes about the day after Jesus has fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Five loaves, two fish, a couple sardines, a couple rolls. And Jesus feeds 5,000 people, miraculously multiplying the food. And He has been healing also whoever comes to Him with any sort of affliction. I don't know 
what all diseases and afflictions were healed, but we do know that it was everything from ordinary illnesses to permanent paralysis to demon possession was being healed by Jesus. Every manner of affliction and illness and disability. His popularity is skyrocketing, but Jesus has no interest in popularity. He has no interest in popularity. He has no interest in merely drawing a crowd. In fact, Jesus does the opposite of what any church growth guru would tell you to do. He says, he starts teaching in a way that is both hard to understand and designed to run off anybody who is not committed to hearing what he has to say. He is not trying to make himself the center of a popularity contest. What he is trying to do is to draw genuine followers who will, who will experience life transformation through following him. He doesn't simply want to be popular. He wants to change people's lives. And so he starts talking about he starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And to a Jewish person, Jewish people were forbidden to drink, to, to have any kind of meat with any blood in it whatsoever. And so there'd be nothing more offensive than the idea of drinking blood. Never mind the blood of another human. And, and nothing more offensive than some sort of cannibalistic eating of the flesh of another human being. Not even pagans did that. And they're offended because they don't understand what it is that Jesus is telling them. They wanted Jesus the miracle worker. They want Jesus the bread and fish supplier. They want Jesus the good teacher. But this last teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood is so vivid and so hard for them to swallow that they start to grumble. Start to say to themselves and to one another, this is hard teaching. Who can listen to it? By the way, do they get that he's talking about spiritual realities? No, they don't get that. Do they understand that Jesus is not speaking literally about opening a vein and giving everybody a little drink? No, they don't understand that. They don't understand that he's not talking literally about slicing off chunks of his body for his followers, but about being spiritually fed by his presence in their lives through faith in him. You know, what, what happens, men and women, when a person comes to faith in Jesus is that Jesus comes and dwells within them. His Holy Spirit comes and dwells within them, and they are nourished by fed by, strengthened by, satisfied by His presence. Does that make sense to you? I hope so. I hope you've experienced that. That's what He's telling them, is that when He's talking about eating and drinking, He's talking about taking Him into their life in such a way that His presence nourishes and transforms and changes them from the inside out. 
they don't understand it. All they have ears to hear and eyes to see is about physical things and getting physical needs met because basically that's what they want Jesus for. They want Jesus to meet all of their physical needs. I'm sick and Jesus heals. I'm hungry and Jesus fed me. I was thirsty and Jesus gave me something to drink. And so this is what I came to Jesus in order to get. Was all my physical needs met. And in his omniscience as God, Jesus knows their thoughts. And so he begins to ask questions. I don't know if you know this. Jesus asked 307 questions in the Gospels, if you, if you total them all up. But Jesus is always asking questions to reveal people's hearts. And he says, do you take offense at this? Meaning, why are you offended? His second question is, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? That might seem like an odd place for that question. But the reason He is asking is because they don't yet understand that Jesus is not just another miracle-working prophet. He is that. But he's more than that. In fact, he is the Son of Man. He uses that title. The, the other big place that appears is Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where Daniel looks into heaven and he sees one like the Son of Man who will be given a kingdom and rule and authority over all nations. And so when Jesus is saying, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? He's saying, don't you understand that the miracles that I'm doing reveal who I am, that I am the one that Daniel saw. I am the Son of Man, the one who came down from heaven to be given a kingdom and rule and authority and power. Don't you understand that? It's therefore not odd for that person, for the Son of God, to teach that your life must be completely nourished by His presence or that you cannot have eternal life apart from Him. That's what He's trying to tell them. That's what they don't get. And that's why He says, this is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it's granted to Him by My Father. What He's saying in that is that the reason you don't get it is because you don't have life within you. The words I've spoken are spirit and they are life. And, and unless the Spirit gives you life, you're not going to get what I'm telling you. You have to be someone who is drawn to Him by the Father. And if the Spirit doesn't give you life, trying to understand what I'm telling you by your flesh is not going to help you. Because all you're going to be focused on is the benefits of a relationship with God rather than the fact that the chief benefit is God Himself. By the way, does that still happen? The people want to come to Christ not for Christ, but for what Christ does. Jesus is zeroing in on why, on the heart of the issue and why they're grumbling, which is their unbelief. 
They haven't acknowledged who Jesus is, and so they can't understand what it is that he says. He says you need new life from the Spirit, and the only way you can get it is if the Father draws you to him. And we find out who the real followers of Jesus are, who the true disciples are. Verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Who are the true disciples? The ones that stayed. Who are the false ones? The ones that left. When confronted with the reality of Jesus and the requirement that you must believe in who He is, many of His disciples didn't want to be disciples anymore. And they turned away from Him. And that leads me to a really obvious application question, which is this. Will you follow Jesus even when it is hard? Will you follow Jesus even when it is hard? I have to tell you that I think, I think that, that Jesus' teaching about eating His flesh and drinking His blood is among the more challenging to understand teachings of Jesus. Requires some explanation. Requires a spiritual perspective. It requires understanding what Jesus is trying to tell them and why. But there's a lot of Jesus' teaching that is not hard to understand. Amen? And it is, in fact, very, very clear. Very, very simple. But very, very hard to do. In fact, there's a lot of Jesus' teaching that will, if you follow it, mark you out as a person who is swimming upstream of the culture. Every other, every other person in our culture, apart from followers of Jesus, is going one way, and you are the one going the other. And it is hard. It is hard. It's hard on all kinds of areas of life where what Jesus calls you to in ways of thinking, ways of living, ways of believing is radically different than what your culture would tell you. Just like what Jesus told these folks was radically different than what their culture and values had reinforced for them. But the difference between true disciples and false ones is that true disciples follow Jesus even when it is hard. Even when it is a challenge. Do you follow Jesus when His teaching gets hard to swallow or do you turn away and stop following Him? If the Spirit of God has given you life it includes following him even when his teaching is hard to swallow and if you do you gain the very best thing of all you gain jesus 
I don't know if you know this or not. I hope you do. But the big deal about heaven is not being in the place. And it is not being in there with all of your loved ones who also believed in Jesus. Those are big benefits. But the main attraction is Jesus. He is the treasure hidden in the field. He is the pearl of great price. He is the thing for which you give your entire life. Everything else is nice and valuable and is important. And I will look forward to the day when I am in the Lord's presence with my loved ones. But the big deal is being with the Lord. And what we sacrifice our lives for is for Jesus and His sake. Jesus says, verse 67, Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Jesus asks again another penetrating question. Do you want to go away as well? Let me translate that. Are you guys going to leave me too? I don't know if you can imagine this scene, but just imagine if you will, there are dozens or maybe hundreds or maybe even thousands because after all, Jesus fed 5,000 men in one place along with a bunch of other women and children who were there as well and they've come looking for him and they find him and there's this massive crowd of people who are saying they are disciples of Jesus and then when he teaches things that they do not like and that they find hard to swallow they check out in droves Maybe at first it's just a few around the periphery of the crowd, but eventually almost everybody who had formerly been standing there is gone. And it's Jesus and the twelve. And again, Jesus does something you don't expect. He's like, hey, guys, if you're looking for the door, a whole bunch of people just walked out. You can join them. And Peter speaks up on behalf of the group and he says what everybody else is thinking. (laughs) Lord, to whom should we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we believe and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is Peter's confession of faith. And by the way, it's a good model of what a confession of faith looks like. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is, this is what he is, what he says here is a model for, for putting your faith in Jesus. It begins with a recognition of his need and the fact that there is no one else through whom salvation comes. To whom shall we go? In other words, Jesus, you're it. You're the only hope we have. And a recognition that he needs eternal life, that he doesn't already have this. But he needs it. And he can't find it anywhere else but from Jesus. And after that, Peter says, we believe 
And we've come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. In other words, I exercised faith, trust in Jesus, and then I have this settled confidence that Jesus is who He says He is. And notice which one comes first. There's belief and then confident assurance. We know that Jesus is the one sent from God. Genuine faith is that which follows Jesus when it gets difficult to do so because we have believed and come to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter understands who Jesus is and he's put his trust in him completely. He understands who he is, who Jesus is, and that he needs Jesus and I've got to trust in him completely in order to have eternal life. And so he does. Speak, and by the way, he speaks on behalf of the whole group. But there's one guy that's not really part of the group, isn't there? Verse 70, 71, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now think about this, just a second. Jesus is the God-man. He is the Son of God, become incarnate in the womb of Mary, having both a human nature as well as a fully divine nature as the Son of God who eternally existed from eternity past. And so he had his omniscience the whole time that he was living among us. And it says he knew from the beginning who the traitor was. And he called him anyway to be his disciple. Would you do that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Judas had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come to faith in Jesus, and he didn't. Think about all the miracles that Judas witnessed. He sees the feeding of 5,000. He sees the feeding of 4,000. He sees Jesus walk on water. He sees Jesus uh, heal people who were born blind. He sees people raised from the dead. He sees people healed of leprosy. He sees uh, people uh, who are demon-possessed have the demons cast out of them. He sees one big herd of, uh, big gob of demons go into a herd of pigs and the pigs crash over the mountainside. He sees miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He hears Jesus day after day after day after day for three and a half years he sees jesus do all these things and yet judas never comes to faith in jesus or himself he has received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and at the end he decides he would rather have 30 pieces of silver than jesus Amazing. He will trade eternal life 
and Jesus himself for a little temporary reward in this one. Would you make that swap? I like to think that I would not. But here's what I do know. That I and lots of other people maybe have not made that swap, but we've made similar ones on a regular basis. I won't give up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but I'll happily swap him for something I value more in that moment. Maybe I'll swap Jesus for temporary approval among my friends. Maybe I'll swap Jesus for a few moments of temporary sexual pleasure. Or intellectual respectability. I'll swap Jesus if I have to in order to get married. Marry an unbeliever. I'll swap Jesus for a promotion at work or to make a little more money in a way that's not really right. I'll swap all these things. People have, people do. For a relationship with Jesus. People have done all of the above. I confess sometimes I've done some of the above. I won't trade him for 30 pieces of silver, but I'll trade him for something. Let's not be too hard on Judas. Because in my heart and in yours is the heart of a traitor as well. That just as much needs to be redeemed and brought into new life and made a real disciple of the king. Amen? How many miracles have we seen? A whole bunch. How much transformation has Jesus brought to us? A massive amount. But we need to remember that every act of sin is a betrayal. It's a betrayal of the one who bought us. The one who's enacted great miracles on our behalf. But sometimes, sometimes it happens that what somebody swaps Jesus for is not a momentary sin of which they eventually repent. But sometimes it is a life-altering decision that sets their life on an entirely different path away from Jesus just like it was for Judas. And I am not naive enough to think that people who come to church are all believers. Jesus, in fact, told us several parables to indicate that they wouldn't be. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? Wheat and tares look a whole lot like one another when they come up. can't tell until the harvest, when the fruit has been produced, which one is which. If today you are sitting here and you have been around church a lot and you have a Bible 
and you have even read it, and you've spent time in a small group, and you've listened to me preach, or you've listened to other people on the radio, or, or whatever, can I just tell you that there is nothing in this life that is worth the swap? That Jesus is calling you to a life which will at times be hard as you seek to follow Him. But as you follow Him, guess what? You gain Jesus. You gain Jesus. And you gain in, in a relationship with Him more than all the treasure of the world. Whatever they are. And it is far better to, as uh, Hebrews 11 says about Moses, to forsake the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season to gain the Son of God. It's a choice that we have, true or false. If you're a true disciple of Jesus, you will follow Him with your whole life because you want Him most of all, and you would rather have Him than everything else in the world. Or you'll make another choice to sacrifice Him to gain some temporary reward here and now. Can I say this to you? With all the love of Christ, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Or as Joshua said it this way, choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you serve self and sin? Or will you follow Christ? No time like the present to decide. It's the beginning of a new year. Could be the beginning for you maybe of new life. Or maybe of repentance and a renewed life. Let's pray. Father, this is a heavy passage. One that's hard to start off the new year with. Where Jesus is making a division between the masses who would follow him if it benefits them. And the few who will follow when it's costly. Father, I pray that we, your people, would be among those who follow regardless of the cost. Because Jesus is worth any price. Father, I pray we would follow Jesus' teaching without wavering. That we would uh, hold to it not just in its content, but in the way that it calls us to live. That we would live lives of purity and devotion to following Christ because He paid a great price for us to give us a great salvation that changes our entire life. Father, I pray that no one would turn aside and turn back from following Christ because in Christ there is life and there is nowhere else to find it. He alone has the words of eternal life. Father, help us this year. Again, we dedicate ourselves to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.